All right, we're going to take a look at Daniel chapter 3 tonight. Anytime we look at something like Daniel 3, which is, I don't know, I don't even know what number you'd say. If it's not the most well-known chapter in Daniel, it's like the top two for sure, right? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in a fiery furnace. <laughs> Anytime we're so familiar with a biblical text, we want to make sure that we are taking our time. Go nice and slow. Because if we don't go nice and slow, we are going to miss something that God's word lays out for us. Now, as we prepare our hearts for uh, Daniel chapter 3, I want to share with you just a little uh, uh, excerpt from a book called Where is God When It Hurts? This is a story of Brian Sternberg. Brian Sternberg was a nationally acclaimed track star. There may be some folks here old enough to remember him. He had several records in pole vault. In 1963, Brian was 19 years old, uh, he, uh, he had held unbelievable success. He made sports headlines every week. He remained undefeated in outdoor competition, and he set his first world record. Excitement and thrills embellished the spring and the summer for the Sternbergs. Three weeks after Brian set his last world record, everything changed. July 2nd, 1963, while working out on a trampoline in preparation for the U.S. track team's tour of Russia, Brian landed on his neck, there was a crack, and he became a paraplegic. He spent the rest of his life confined to a wheelchair. In the beginning... Uh, of his time, Brian had faith that God could and would heal his paralysis. But years later, he was still in his wheelchair. People began to ask, ask questions. Did his faith fail? Maybe he didn't have enough faith. Maybe God made a mistake. Maybe God had forsaken his child. A year after the accident, Brian wrote an article for Look Magazine. He ended with these, this phrase, said, Having faith is a necessary step toward one of two things. Being healed is one of them. Peace of mind is the other. Either one will suffice. Ten years later, Philip Yancey went back to visit Brian. And Brian had got caught up in the Word of Faith movement. <coughs> Part of the concept of the Word of Faith movement is that God's plan for everyone is that you would be healed, that you would be healthy, uh, wealthy, and wise. And so if you have faith, you guys have all heard this before, right? If you have enough faith, God would do a work. So Philip Yancey, he did an interview of him. And when he left, he, he wrote these things about him. Uh, he sensed the mood of Brian Sternberg as an uncompleted, uncomfortable struggle mixed with tough, undying faith. As Brian struggled to find enough human faith, he forgot that God is sovereign 
and he lost his peace of mind. One of the things we see in Daniel chapter 3 is three Hebrew youths, so we don't know how old they were. At this point, they're probably well into their adult ages. And they're making a, a stand, and the most incredible thing in their stand is their statement that well, I don't, we don't care whether God delivers us or not. We're not doing that. There is a place in our walk with the Lord where we have to learn it's not about faith in faith. It's about faith in God. Faith doesn't do anything for you. And Brian Sternberg, he had it right in the beginning. There are two outcomes of our faith and trust in God. Healing or peace to endure whatever is before us. And these guys in Daniel chapter 3, as we take a look at it tonight, they understood that. They understood that and they were able to make their stand. It says in Daniel 3 verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Its height was 60 cubits. Its breadth, 6 he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, and governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So Nebuchadnezzar, sometime, we don't know the time frame from, from chapter 2 when he has the vision of the statue, you guys remember, to chapter 3, and it's not all that relevant. What is relevant is that there is a definite pride issue here. And you're going to see it again in the next chapter. Uh, ultimately, God's eventually going to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's pride. <coughs> so as <clears throat> he's filled with pride, you remember in the vision, the head was gold, right? And Daniel said, all the kingdoms of men have this one thing in common. They don't last. So you, O king, are the head of gold, but one day someone else is going to take over. And it becomes chest of silver, right? Belly of bronze, legs of iron feet iron mixed with clay. So you have this, this degrading within the statue. King Nebuchadnezzar is, I'm sure he has people around him saying, that's never going to happen to you. You're the greatest king ever. So he gets this crazy idea. I'm going to build a statue of all gold. He's making a statement. My kingdom does not pass away. And beyond that statement, he is challenging the people, not just Babylonian citizens, citizens of the nation of Babylon, but all the areas everywhere around that they had conquered, they all had to send their leaders to come out to the statue to swear allegiance, to bow down in worship of the state. That's not new either. Almost every kingdom of man degrades to that point. We certainly know about Rome, right? Once a year, a pinch of incense to declare Caesar is God. Well, the point of that was that the, the state is the ultimate. 
And this is the proclamation that Nebuchadnezzar is making. Come. Come and bow down. Show yourself good citizens of Babylon and bow before the altar that I have set up. In verse 4 it says, So the herald proclaimed. All the people are gathered. There's a statue. Daniel's not there because Daniel's in the palace. If you carefully read chapter 2, it says Daniel stayed in the palace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they ran the province. The province is where the statue is being set up. The palace is where Daniel stayed. That's why Daniel's not there. So they gather around the, the herald. He goes out and he says, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, everyone who's gathered, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, they liked musical instruments. <coughs> when, you, <coughs> when you hear them all, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down, and they worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, for anyone for whom God is not their Lord, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal for them. They'll just do, they'll just do it, you know, whatever, we'll, we'll make our declaration, everything will be fine. But for those who worship Yahweh, we know that that's not going to be okay. And you have these three Hebrew youths who understand that. It's not going to be okay. When the children of Israel got to Babylon in exile and they went into the refugee camps, the Babylonians were so excited by music and the opportunity to, to hear something new that they would call out to the slaves and ask them to play a song for us play a song scripture tells us in psalm 137 verse 1 it says by the waters of babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered zion the fall of jerusalem on the willows there we hung up our lyres for there our captors required of us songs our tormentors Mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. They wanted to hear songs. They loved the idea of music. So music is incorporated in the concept of bowing down to worship this altar, this idol, this idol of representing the state of Babylon and ultimately King Nebuchadnezzar. But it says in verse 8, it says, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward. And maliciously accused the Jews. Now, it would at least appear that they were looking for an opportunity, right? Now, come on. You can understand that, right? If you were a bunch of <laughs> Babylonians who had offices in the, in the throne and around Babylon, and you were basically put down, and these guys were elevated above you, you're looking for an opportunity to call them out. And so they take it. They maliciously accuse the Jews. They declare to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. But there are certain Jews among you 
you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rakshak and Benny. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. So they make charges against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're breaking your law. They're rising up in disobedience against what the state requires. If you guys remember a while back when we talked about these things, we talked about the reconciliation with Romans 13 and other scriptures that talk about our obedience to the state, right? The thing that breaks our obedience to the state is this, when the state requires what God forbids or forbids what God requires, the state is to be resisted. More than 6 million Christians died during the the years of the height of Rome, and here Rakshak and Benny are not willing to bow. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John, they find themselves in trouble from the same people who crucified Christ. Do you remember the story? And they're threatened and they're beaten, and here's the charge that they brought to them in verse 28 of Acts 5. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. And here you are, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Just a side note. Do you remember what they shouted out to Pilate at the crucifixion? His blood be upon us and on our children. And now they're saying, hey, wait a minute. You're trying to make us guilty. There was no tape recorders back then. (coughs) So... Nobody could play it for him. But listen to their response. This is the important part. Their response in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to bring these guys up. Bring me those guys. Now, you guys remember I told you, Nebuchadnezzar, two great things mark Nebuchadnezzar. One, pride. Two, rage. Pride and rage, them two things, they must go together, right? I I have at least one of those, so if I have one of them, I probably have the other one too, right? So we we recognize that. It says Nebuchadnezzar, um, he's going to call these guys forth. Look what it says in verse 13. So Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when the music begins to play, you hear the sound of the hornpipe lyre, trigon harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship... You shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you from me? Who can deliver you from me? Well, I know one. Now, what about, what about for us? Is our God able to deliver us from whatever things we face? Can he deliver us from a job we hate? Sure. Through uh, problems with our health? 
from a death sentence, you know, the doc uses a C word, says we have cancer or whatever. Is our God strong enough to deliver us? Or we just end up in the fiery furnace burning like everybody else? Well, here's what these guys had to say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you. What that means is, yeah, you know, that's a dumb question. That means, wait, we don't need to answer you. We're, we're, we're fine. We're good. Whatever happens, whatever takes place. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Could God deliver them from the fire so they never had to put a toe in it? For sure he can. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And this is in the positive. He will deliver us from your hand. What could Nebuchadnezzar do to them? Nothing. They throw them in a fiery furnace. In a minute, Nebuchadnezzar's you're not thinking clearly because he's going to heat up the fiery furnace seven times hotter. If you really wanted to torture the guys, you'd make it cooler, wouldn't you? So it burned them longer. You make it hotter, they're going to die faster. So you're going to kill them faster and they're going to stand before their great God and king. Yeah, I don't... There's, there's not a bad part of that. You see, once we made the decision to bow the knee before our great God and Savior, then we're good. We're good. There's nothing they can do. What does Romans 8 say will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Is there something that can separate you? What if you're hungry? Does that separate you? No. What if, what if life is too hard? Does that separate you? What if it's disappointing? What if you fall on a trampoline and you're a paraplegic the rest of your life and God never heals you? Is there still something that has separated you from the love of God? Yeah. Nothing separates us. Not one thing. They call out and they say, let it be known I love this line. I hope one day God lets me give this to somebody. Let it be known, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship your image you have set up. Whether God delivers us or not, we won't bow. Man, that's, that's a lot of strength, no? What an incredible, what an incredible display. This is not faith in faith. This is not just faith floated, floated out there. I, I just need more faith. That's not what this is. It's the object of faith that makes a difference. The object of faith is not your willpower. The object of faith is not some system that we've built up. Who is the object of your faith? Faith in anything else doesn't save. It's only faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. So they have so much confidence in God. Not in themselves, that they'll always do the right thing. Not, it was in him. Their confidence was, was 
planted firmly in the Lord. And so, because their confidence was in God, their commitment was to him too. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Right? You can only serve one. If you, if you love one, you hate the other. That's why we are divided in the world, right? If we love the world, then we, the love of the Father is not in us. <coughs> so he's challenging. They're committed to the Lord because they know Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, right? What's it say? You will not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness. Anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the water under the earth, you shall not bow down nor serve them. So they have clear direction from God, right? Yeah, we don't do this. We don't do this. We will bow down. We will not bow down. These three guys could have compromised. Maybe some of these are phrases you have heard Spoken. They could have compromised with the king, defended their disobedience by saying everybody else was doing it, or our office demands that we obey, or we'll bow our knees, but we won't bow our hearts. Or they might have said, we can do our people more good by being officers in the king's service rather than being ashes in his furnace. But true faith, Confidence, commitment to the Lord doesn't look for loopholes. It just obeys. Here's what God said. You ever had to obey something God said that you didn't like? <laughs> it's where you find really the true test of do I want to be obedient? No, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't want to obey. But when I come face to face with it, I hope my answer will always be, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I have bowed the knee to him. So their convictions remain unchanged. Nebuchadnezzar, is, he was already furious. Now, they don't even have a word for how mad he was. They use the word, the Hebrew word fire. So basically it says Nebuchadnezzar caught on fire. Nebuchadnezzar caught on fire, filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed. You ever seen somebody like that? Their face, they're gnashing their teeth. Stephen saw it, but right before he was before he was stoned. So his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter. So they stoke it up. Now, why? you, you might ask yourself, what, when, what in the world was the furnace doing there? Because you remember they got a big gold statue, right? You know that stuff doesn't just come and you can't order that from Amazon. <laughs> right? So the way they would have built the statue is they would have built the frame out of wood. They would have melted down gold and poured the gold over the statue. So the furnace is still there. And I'm sure the king said, leave that there just in case there's somebody who don't want to listen. So they stoked this thing up seven times hotter. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He did not just take some 
ragamuffins out of the out of his group. He he picked his best guys. The the heroes of the Babylonian army are the ones that are taking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the fiery furnace. We know what happens to them. They're going to usher them up there. It says, so they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them in the fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is usually where I ask this part. How'd they get in? You know, they walked up to the fiery furnace, right? The fire's... They opened the door, and there's a flash, right? Because all, now there's all that oxygen, and that fire's like, oh, yeah, we want some of that. So it comes leaping out the door and just torches the two guys that were carrying them. Whenever I think about that, I'm like, how'd they get in? Now, I might have at that point looked up and said, thank you, Lord. I'm going to go that way. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they walked into the fiery furnace. Because they were not afraid. They were, they were already dead men made alive. They were not afraid to die. They were not afraid of what was going on. I think one of the greatest things I've ever heard is a group of missionaries heading off to the <coughs> Samoan Islands. And there were, there were people out there that were eating cannibals. They were eating other missionaries. And so the, the, the captain of the ship is like, you guys can't go. And the missionary said, what do you mean? We died already. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. They were already. They were not afraid. That's why Paul could proclaim in 1 Corinthians 15, death, where's your sting? Do your worst. These guys, they walk in. They walk in to the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. So that is a really harsh word. Like, you know, sometimes they're not sure how to translate words. Like, you know, so we use things like, oh, they marveled. And you and I, we go, oh, there's a lot of emotion in that word, astonished. Like, fall down out of my throne. What in the world is going on? What is happening here? He was astonished and he rose up in haste. So he jumps up off of his throne and he declared to his counselors, did we not throw three men in the fire? Didn't we throw three guys in there? And they answered and said, yes, true, O king. <clears throat> so he answered, there are four in there. And one of them, he looks like a son of the gods. That's literally what he said. He looks like Beni Elohim. Beni Elohim is a title that they would use for, for angels or spirit beings. There's someone else in there. There's someone else in the fire. 
The Bible declares to us that no man has seen God at any time. But they have seen Jesus. It says, the only begotten Son of the Father, from the bosom of the Father, true God from true God, he reveals God to us. We don't have to wonder who's in the fire with him, do we? So they're just trucking around in the fire. Now look, if you got to have a conversation with Jesus, I don't think you care about the environment at the time. I don't think it matters. What if my conversation with him is in a wheelchair? What if it's in a hospital bed I'm never going to get out of? doesn't matter where I'm at. It's faith. Confidence in a living and true and powerful God, commitment and obedience to Him. It's just like walking in the fire. Yeah, it's a drag, but it's temporary. We're not going to stay in that place. Isaiah chapter 43 says this a promise from Isaiah. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he's talking to the nation of Israel, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. They will not overwhelm you. Though you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. You know that's a messianic title, right? The Holy One of Israel. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba in exchange for you. You are precious in my eyes, honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. God says that you're not going anywhere, I'm not going to go with you. Now, the phrases that God uses of Israel here in Isaiah, he also uses of the church. Are you redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Does he know your name? Yeah. Will he walk with you in the fire? Will he be with you in the flood? And he says, I will carry you through. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Everything I need is right here. He has given me all that I need. Psalm 91, verse 9. This, the devil used this verse. Doesn't mean this verse is not true. Just means it is possible to misuse, right? Psalm 91, verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High is your refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. He will command his angels concerning you. To guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. What is the Lord declaring in Psalm 91? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. The greatest thing that any person can possess is the presence of God. His presence. 
Because with his presence, there's nothing we can't do. I've shared with you before, I've watched the presence of God on a woman's face as she declared her desire to die well as a witness to the people who were watching. I saw the presence of the Lord on the face of a father who lifted his hands at the death of his son. Young man taken by a horrible accident and he raised his hands and he praised God for the time he had with his son. The things that those guys had in common and the many other experiences I've been witness to, the things they had in common, they had the presence of God. It didn't stop them from being in the fire. It just made it so you didn't care about the fire because you have the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's the focus we need to have. We need to have our focus upon him. Now in Daniel 3.26, Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now look how he talks to them. Servants of the Most High God. Hey, do you guys mind coming out? A minute ago, his countenance changed. The way he looked at him changed. Gnashed his teeth at him. He's standing on the carcasses of two of his guys. Right? They're probably still burning there by the door. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No rush. When you guys are done, could you come out? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Oh, I wonder how hard that was. Seems like it'd be hard. Because I can't imagine something more glorious than being in the presence of my Savior. I can't imagine a better place to be. Looking at his face, I, I don't know what they were talking about, <coughs> but... I'm pretty sure I don't want to go anywhere. You know, Jesus is saying, the king's calling you guys. I don't care. You're my king. I don't know who that guy is. But they go to him because there's a responsibility that they have to fulfill, right? And so it says, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors... And the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies. Not the hair on their head was singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire had come upon them. Nothing. The story illustrates that there's nothing that this nature, that this world in chaos, that the devil, that the enemies, there's nothing they can do to you. Whatever is done to you can only usher you into the presence of God. And that's not ever bad. There's no power they had over him or any of their stuff. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. 
and set aside the king's command. I wonder if he's thinking, who could save you from my hands? That dude can. <clears throat> and yield up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Now this is not going to be the end for, for King Nebuchadnezzar. He is not done with his battle. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's god in chapter 3. It was Daniel's god in chapter 2. Might be Nebuchadnezzar's god in chapter 4. We'll see. So as he comes down, he's saying, look, look, here's, I'm going to make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. So this guy likes to tear people apart. You know, it's a, it's a little, it's just strange conversation in the living room, right? Look, if you don't obey me, I'm going to, and I probably have said some harsh things to my sons when they were young. I don't think I ever threatened to tear them limb from limb, but I can't make <coughs> I can't make any promises. But obviously, this is his personality, right? I'm gonna throw you in a fiery furnace. I'm gonna tear you limb from limb. I'm gonna chop you up in pieces and make your house a giant dung heap. That's what he said in chapter two. You remember? Anybody who says anything bad about their God shall be torn limb from limb. Their house is laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So he makes a powerful profession. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now we're not going to see those guys again. That's, that's going to be their story. We're going to see Daniel. They'll, men, they'll be mentioned, but... But they, they're going to fall out of the narrative, the different stories that are going on in Daniel. Because the book of Daniel is put together for a purpose. The book of Daniel is a prophetic book, right? This is not one of the histories of Israel. So the stories that are connected together in the book of Daniel in the first six chapters are designed to cause you to figure out who is the God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings. You have, you know, the, a structure within the, within the book of Daniel that is going to point to chapter 4. Because chapter 4 is where Nebuchadnezzar has his moment of decision. Now we can argue whether he made it or he didn't. We'll find out when we get to heaven, right? But the point is, before you ever get into any of these prophecies or any of the apocalyptic stuff or any of Daniel's you, uh, uh, he's going to give a, a history in, in fast forward. He's going to prophesy the history of the nation of Israel before it happens. That's why nobody knows what to do with Daniel. They get to Daniel and they go, you know, the first six chapters, we're doing fine. But Daniel starts doing these prophecies and there's no way those are prophecies. Those are histories. Because they're too precise. They do the same thing with Isaiah. Isaiah made a declaration, uh, I think it's 100, I want to say 150 years, might be 100 years, <laughs> before Cyrus the Mede was king. God said, I'm going to raise up my servant Cyrus. He is going to turn my people, he's going to let my people go back to the land. 100 years before dude's born, he calls him by name. Daniel does the same kind of things. 
But it doesn't matter. Any of that, none of that stuff matters. If you don't know who God is, who cares? It's, it's fun stories to talk about. So you see we have this description of a God that can tell you your future, your, your, where you're going to spend eternity. And you can struggle with your pride. We're going to see pride on either side of chapter 4. You can struggle in your pride. You can struggle in disobedience to God. But if you don't make a decision for him, none of the other things he said is going to matter. There is one name under heaven by which men must be saved. Only one. That is the one Daniel is trying to introduce a lot of people to in the narratives that he lays out in these first six chapters. We just finished three. Stand by. The, the, the tip of the spear is next week. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. <coughs> Father God, we thank you so much for an opportunity to study your word. To praise your name. To glorify you, Lord God. For indeed, you are worthy. You are able to deliver us all. But even if you won't, I will not bow to any of the things the world says I have to fear. I choose to fear you, Lord. And I want to walk in obedience to you, Lord. And as that aligns with my community around me, then I want to I walk in that community as, as good a, a citizen as I can. Just like Jeremiah said for the people going to Babylon. Plant, build, have families, have children, grow these things, make these things, do these things. You could accomplish all of that, make all of those things happen. Pray for the peace of Babylon, because when she has peace, so will you. We desire to come alongside our nation and walk with her. But I won't abandon my God to do it. Lord, I pray that we don't bow the knee to the things we are afraid of. The sickness or strife or whatever. Whatever the stuff is. Whatever the things that can pull our focus. God, I pray that we would set our eyes on you. That we have bowed the knee to you. And should you call us out to the midst of a jungle full of cannibals, we will not be afraid. For you are with us. And they can't do anything to me. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place. I pray that we as your people would not be afraid to stand in the fire. It only burns for a minute. But eternity 
is in the presence of my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. <coughs> God, pray that you would be glorified in this place. We want to honor you in all we do and all we say. In Jesus' name.